But here's my question. How expectant are we? I, I don't want to laugh on anybody, but I will. Okay? I, I know you can cope with it. Bob, how expectant are you feeling compared to how you were in 1994? Yeah. Expectant about things remind you of the way we were. I'm not going to sing it, no. <laughs> but I was thinking about this. And, and what we find is you've got uh, Peter and John, and they're going up to the temple. If you, if you want to look at it, check, check it out. But they're going up to the temple, and there's this uh, guy there who's been lame from birth. And he starts to shout out, because he wants something. Okay, he wants something. Money. He wants arms. So at this point in time, he's expecting me some food. is it? And so what happened? Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. There's a thing about looking towards Jesus that changes your expectancy level. Looking at anything else, it's difficult to be expectant. So that's why it's so important that we have our attention as a body and individuals to Jesus. He stays and he fixes his eyes on them. He says, he gives them attention, expecting expecting but what is he expecting expecting money and peter says we know the verse don't we sign on walk and then peter does because the, i don't know if he, he grabs him by the hand pulls him up for what we face in our nation and the power of the holy spirit you can have the best ted talk you like you can have the best presentation you like and, and there's nothing wrong with good presentation. In fact, I encourage it. I encourage good worship times. I encourage excellence as far as we're able to do it. But that's not going to change things. What's going to change things is an expectancy that the Holy Spirit's going to do something. And for the Holy Spirit to do something in here, when we're out there, we need to be asking him to stir our expectancy up. Does that, does that make sense? Because I'll show you what happens. <laughs> what happens, and, well, you know what happens, don't you? <laughs> they pay for boldness, the room shakes, there's noise and everything going on, and they're filled again with another measure of those bit, and more and more people start coming into the kingdom. And then you have this weird incident with Ananias and Sapphira, who, who kind of decide that they're going to walk into this incredible presence of God and lie. And when they found out in the middle of this incredible presence of God, it's such an overwhelming presence that they drop dead. Now, that's not cool, is it? I, honestly, I don't want people dropping dead on a Sunday morning. Because it kind of ruins the flow of the service. So just don't do that bit, okay? But what I want you to see is that as a result of that, again, the situation changed. I don't believe that these sequence of events are an accident that, that you have in that. Because the next thing that happens, and, and this is kind of a strange thing, like where did they get this idea from? So you know, great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. That word fear is full boss. I want you to understand that's where we get phobia from. Now, some people have, have tried to get rid of this idea of the fear of God out of the church by saying, well, actually what it means is reverence. And we, had the, we actually had this debate in one thing last week. And it, by the way, it was fantastic. Loved it. Going to do it again tonight. But the, the, the thing is, if we want to get rid of the fear of God, it's quite easy. We just stop talking about it and we just deny its right to exist. 
by having a different kind of theology. Here's the problem, and, and the, the only way you can get around that, and, and this is the way, there's a truth in this, which is the fear of the Lord means to reverence the Lord. But a lot of the times when it talks about the fear of the Lord, the word it's using is phobos, which means actually they were terrified. I would be terrified if people started dropping dead because they lied about whether they tithed or not. Honestly, I would. It would be kind of uncomfortable, wouldn't it? But here's the thing. We can't get rid of that. You see, when we talk about reverence, we go, okay, well, it doesn't mean the fear. It doesn't mean I need to be fear. I haven't been given a spirit of fear. No, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. That means you don't need to fear the enemy or anything that life throws at you. It's the enemy that tries to put a spirit of fear on. It's talking about a completely different thing to say, should you fear the Lord? And when you say, should I fear the Lord? Well, should I reverence the Lord? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to reverence somebody? If the Queen walked in today, what would we all be doing? We would be looking at the Queen, hoping she was going to take our hands, hoping she'd say something to us, and we'd be really concerned if we got too close, didn't curtsy right, didn't do all this right, and so on. Because we reverence the Queen. Most people do anyway. But the point that I'm making is to reverence, you have to actually say, who am I reverencing? Now, I'm a child of the living God. I'm his, I'm his son. He loves me with a love that cannot be questioned. Why can't it be questioned? Because Jesus died for me to prove that love. The love of God, the love of the Father, is never ever in question. It's us who want to open up the, the debate, but his love was never ever in question scripturally. The question is, is my love in question? What's my love for Jesus like? What's my response to that like? And, and you see, I'm his son, I'm, I, I have an inheritance, I'm seated with him in heavenly place, that's all true. But he's still... The king. And if the king walks in the room, if, if, if the queen walks in the room, Prince Charles has to behave very differently from when he sat around the fireside with her. There's, there's different ways this relationship is played out. And when God turns up as king, in other words, turns up in revival presence, he turns up as king. And we play it out differently. Because there is an awe, there is a reverence, there is a downright fear of getting it wrong. And not responding correctly. And so this comes on them, and what happens? What happens is this. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Right. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteem them highly. This is that's really interesting. Like, there's miracles going on all over the place. And people don't dare join them in case they get it wrong. Like Ananias and Sapphira got it wrong. That's, that's kind of cool, isn't it? And, and what, but the bit I'm coming to is this. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they, what did they do? This fear of the Lord stirs an expectancy. So they're going, okay, well, Jesus isn't here anymore. And we used to bring people to Jesus, didn't we? Now, these guys, they've just healed this guy that was lame from birth. So what about we all pile out to where they are and take everybody who's sick and see what happens? They've got an expectancy. Something's going to happen. And when you have an expectancy that God's going to do something, it draws out that ability for something to happen. And, and so they bring all the sick, and every single one of them healed, just like with Jesus. In fact, they get very, very expectant at this point. And anybody know what happens next? They all, where do you get this idea from? They decided that they were so expectant that if they could even just get in Peter's shadow, they would get healed. I think, like, where do you get that from? I think 
personally, my idea where they got that from was that they remembered that lady pushed away from the through the crowd when Jesus wasn't looking, touched the hem of his garment and got healed. And they're thinking, man, if I only get in Peter's shadow, there's a chance I think we're going to get healed, so I'm getting in the shadow. And so they lay people out on the streets in the hope that Peter's going to walk past them. Not even just pray for them or lay hands on them. What's happening? Expectancy is making a demand on the power of God. Now I want you to understand this, that I was kind of reflecting on this as, as we were talking, George and I were talking, and, and a few days afterwards while we'd been kind of helping our daughter move house, and I was thinking about these things in between being given my instructions of everything I had to do. And um, I was thinking, why, why am I not as expectant as I used to be that something's going to happen when we get together? Why do I feel like you've got to push, 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 and, and it's hard work? And so I started talking to the Holy Spirit about this thing called expectancy. What, what's, what's going on, Holy Spirit? And he started to remind me of the things that he's done in the past. And uh, I've told some of these stories before, but I want you to understand that a miracle is a miracle, and we're meant to. A miracle is something we're meant to learn from and ponder, so that it gets into our heart and is then reproduced. It's not meant to be an end in itself. You see, when anything happened in in the Old Testament. They used to do the same thing. They didn't just go, oh, there's a miracle, that's great, let's have a party, and that's the end of it. And turn up three weeks later, just as dulled down and dead as they ever were. They didn't do that. What did they do? Every time God did a miracle, they responded by doing something to remember it. And it was always the same pattern. Okay, just, hang on. Right, so... When Noah gets out of the ark, and they're all safe, and God's kept his promise, he does something. He builds a pile of stones, and he makes an altar, and he sacrifices to God. And then when uh, Abraham, when he first comes into the promised land, he builds a pile, puts a pile of stones out and builds an altar and makes sacrifices. And you see that pattern. Jacob does the same I, um, Isaac does the same, Jacob does the same. When they, each time with Jacob and Isaac, it's when they get the promise that the blessing applies to them, that he is genuinely coming down the nations. And they get the promise repeated to them, firstly to Isaac and then to Jacob. And their response is, pile of stones, build an altar. When they go into the promised land, all the people, they cross the river Jordan, you know, having come back out of um, exile in Egypt, captivity in Egypt, they, they cross the river Jordan, what do they do? Put a pile of stones down, build an altar. What's the point? The point is twofold. You see, Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and, you know, useful for instruction, correction, all that stuff. That means, because he's talking about the Old Testament, that this stuff is supposed to have our attention. They didn't have the New Testament when Paul wrote those words. Why? Because Paul was busy writing it. So it, it wasn't there. So when he talks about scripture, he's primarily talking about the Old Testament. And what's he saying? He's saying there's things in the Old Testament you need to pay attention to because it's important as how the Holy Spirit's going to operate in your life. And, and, he, and he's got two things there. He's saying, right, there's a pattern that repeats every time. What is it? You remember what happens and then you lay yourself or you put the sacrifice on the altar again. Remember what happens and then put the sacrifice on the altar again. In Leviticus it tells us that there should, that there should always be a sacrifice on the altar. If there's always a sacrifice on the altar, that, that's us yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit, then the fire never burns out. 
the, 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 the issue why revivals die and, and, and we don't see what we want to see and we go around where it's not working for us and it's not like it used to be and it's not as exciting as it used to be, is there's nothing on the altar. Our yieldedness is crusted up. That, that, that we, we forgot, we, we stopped remembering and there's nothing on the altar. Those two things stop us moving in and seeing new things. So, here's the thing. When we, I'll tell you a couple of stories. I think the, the first miracle we saw after we started gathering as a group, um, I think Linda will remember this, I think Leslie will remember this. I'm not sure Joyce will, I think she was down in Plymouth at the time, or Portsmouth or somewhere down there, or strange or whatever. And what happened is there was a lady in our, in our life group, and um, each week she used to uh, bring us photos of like what was wrong with her knee and how she couldn't stand and how painful it was and, and all these sort of things. And, and, and we, we'd go through week after week and we'd find that God heals, God heals. And, and each week she'd come and tell us the latest update on why he wasn't healing her and all those sort of things. And we were going like, God, what, what's going on here? It was kind of supposed to be faith life and, and we've got somebody who's really struggling with arthritis and, and we had the foot, it's really, by the way, it's really unhelpful to look at photos of arthritic joints when you're trying to pray in faith. I just want you to know that. <laughs> in fact, it's best to have not a lot of information at all. The best is to expect that the presence of God's going to be here on a Sunday morning you're going to get healed in the middle of worship. Yes, please. But you need to be here in worship. Here physically and here attentively. And, and that's important. Because we're not here to do church, we're here to worship Jesus. And so this, we, we were praying and, and then it started to come out. And, and the real problem wasn't she didn't believe that Jesus could heal her. The real problem was she didn't believe she was worthy of being healed because she'd been brought up in a, in a very Catholic background and, and also with some Hindu influences, and, and she, she didn't think she was good enough to be healed. So we started talking about grace, and, and a few weeks later she flew off on an aeroplane to this conference in Glasgow, and in the middle of worship got healed. And uh, then got a job where she had to go up and down stairs every day, and kept that job for ages, and still is, what is it now, 20, 18 years now in through. This is somebody who was told that their joints were disintegrating at such a rate they'd lose the ability to walk very soon. And so we started, and I remember coming on to Charlotte and going, man, we really have to go after it now, don't we? When, when we heard this. And so we started getting excited about things. Uh, we already were excited because the church was starting. And uh, we started praying for people and people were, were, were getting healed. Uh, I'll let Joyce share our story in a minute, and I'll let Linda share our story in a minute. But we, people get healed, and, and so we started doing odd things. So I'm going to give you some, one, one or two of the more bizarre ones, okay? Because that's more fun than just saying, well, people, somebody had a bad back and they were all right. That happened multiple times. Everybody with a bad back got healed. Everybody who turned up with a demon in the, in the middle of in our worship sessions manifested and got delivered. That's the presence of God. Why? Because, not because we were any better. We knew, I tell you, we knew a lot less than that. We, we hadn't got it back. There was all sorts of stuff going on that, that would make you think that we, this couldn't happen because we had all the stuff that, and yet God was moving by because we expect him to be moving. So we turn up on a Sunday morning and we go like, what's God going to do this morning? And we pray before church and we march up and down in this room at the back of Mayfield. And we'd be going up and down, praying God move this morning. And he would. Nearly every week, if not every week. But here's the thing. So I remember coming out, of, um, coming out with this sentence. Uh, and I'd been talking about healing one Sunday morning. And I said this sentence that, you should pray all the, 
for, for anything. So if it moves, pray for it. If it doesn't move, pray for it. And we were having a, a life group at our house, and there was three, three girls there, Gemma, uh, Nicole, and Jane. And they, they, I, I repeated this in the life group, pray for anything that moves, pray for anything that doesn't. And they were driving home, we lived in Foxton at that time, and we, they were driving home along this long road that goes from Foxton over towards Thriplow. Uh, and there was a, a deer that had got knocked down, it was dead in the road. And so there's people around it debating, what can you do with this dead deer? Can I put it in my car? Can I take it home? Can I eat it? <laughs> I was the one knocked it down. That should, and people are going, well, you can't have it, it's mine. And so they turn up and they, they, they stop and they're going like, well, Mark just said you should pray for anything that moves and anything that doesn't. So we'll pray for the deer. So they got out of the car, walked up, prayed for the deer, declared life over it, came back to life and ran off. What's the difference? You go like, well, I wouldn't do that. That's just crazy, isn't it? Yes. But it's expectancy is the difference. Like, why not? And, and it was kind of like, okay, I remember once we were, we were home and we were praying. Well, we were just chatting in our lives. And, and the fire wouldn't light. Do you, you ever have that moment when the fire won't light? And you'd like, you got your fire started because we had a log burner and it just wouldn't like it kept going out. And so, right, and so I said, right, right, I'm not having this. I'm going to declare that's going to burst into flames. So I stood up and I, and I pointed at his wood burner and I go, burn! And it went, and, it, and nothing happened. And I went, burn! And nothing happens. And then there's this little spark, and then another spark, and the whole thing burns. And it burns all evening. And that's exciting, but you could go, well, was it? It's just a spark, you know. Perhaps there was a little ember. And I'm thinking that. And the plants. Yeah, I'm going to get onto the plant. And I'm thinking this. And I'm thinking, whoa, there's that. Yeah. So I came back down the next morning. And I'm going, Holy Spirit, I think that was you. I'm kind of hoping it was you, because it was kind of pretty exciting. <laughs> and opened the front of the wood burner. None of the wood had burnt. Oh, wow. It was all intact. Wow. Unsinged. And I'm going, oh my goodness. God does amazing things. Why am I telling you that? Oh, I'm telling you because it's a bit crazy. But I'm also telling you because that's the level, that's what expectancy produces. You said you can ask anything in my name and it'll be done for you. But it's 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 that. Just excitement, so much excitement about Jesus that you expect him to do things. And that can't be produced by a worship session. It's not going to happen just because we turn up, do some worship, and then maybe pray for a few things. We, we have to move away from this kind of unexpected, powerless mentality. Um... Yeah, come, come and tell me a couple, Joyce, um, and then I'll tell you about I'll tell you about the plant. Yeah, I'll tell the the mundane one first, just so that God really loves us and cares about every aspect of our lives. So years ago, when Les and I just got married, um, we, we were in Paris, and he bought me a watch, a fun new watch. And I loved that watch and, you know, I only brought it out on special occasion. But then we moved from London to Cambridge and we just had Catherine. And Catherine used to hide everything or take them or put them in the bin. And I would come back and I put the watch on the, on the table and I couldn't find this watch. I said, and my heart sank because I thought Catherine had put it in the bin because she used to let because I used to tidy up a lot. So she just did what I did. And she put this... Well, I thought she put it in the bin, so that was it. Fast forward, faith life started. And every time I'm saying, God, you can do everything. I kind of would like my watch back. I really like my watch back. So one day we've just had prayer meeting at my house. I'm not even sure I shared this before. We had prayer meeting at the house. Everybody was, was lovely on their faces. And the presence of God was really strong. 
And then we finished the prayer meeting on the Friday, and on the Saturday, it was Kevin's turn to clean the house. I mean, mind you, I clean this our living room. There's nothing hidden in our living room every day. And in that prayer meeting, as we got up living, I said, God, you know, I kind of want, I had listened to Bob Connor. Bob Connor had lost a knife, and then it was his favorite knife. I went to a conference, and he was touching about where he said to the Lord, Lord, you know, that's my favorite knife, and I want my knife back. And boom, that the knife from nowhere dropped in his hotel room, and he had lost the knife at home before he traveled. So I said, God, if you can do it for Bob Connor, you can do it for me. I want my watch back. So that was it. And then Saturday, Kemi was cleaning the house and everything. And she put her hand behind the chair. And there was my watch. I've cleaned that place hundreds of times. So I had my family watch back. So just, that's just to say, oh, God only cares about the big things. He only cares about the healing or deliverance. But he cares about what you care about. So that was the watch. People can think, oh, that's just, you know, vanity. Yeah. I love the watch, Les bought it for me, and I, you know, I had it back, so that's one. So healing, it felt like, I had so many healings, I had my, I broke my matter tassel on the Friday, and went to the hospital, went to um, Hitchinbrook, I had a cast on, on the Saturday, came to church on the Sunday, got prayed for, and went back to the same hospital on the University of Lessons Jenkinson. When we were going away on holiday, we were going to south of France and we had to take the car. And I went there and I said, I want my cast off. They said, well, we only put this cast on yesterday. I said, but he's healed. And the doctor came in, they brought out this form. They, I had to sign a disclaimer that I was asking for this cast to be removed. They removed the cast and I jumped out, but listen, Joyce had faith, but I was going to the hospital. I didn't take a second shoe. I don't know why. So I jumped out of the thing, and I'm thinking, oh, I need to walk to the car in the car park. I have no shoe. And they all gathered, the doctors, the nurses, they gathered looking at me, and I walked out of that place to the car park. The following day, we went to France, and I drove all the way throughout the time we were there. Yeah? Hey, how this is that? Then, I... I, 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 I so she means, we, we're on holiday in Italy, so we, we haven't seen any of this. And we're at the top of the lake, I get the phone call from Joyce, and she's just hyper excited because she's going on holiday. And she tells me all this sort of thing, and I am so shocked, I dropped my ice cream. So my memory of Joyce's metal tassel is my ice cream being ruined. Yeah, so that was it. And then you're always on holiday when I get here. So there's another one, and this one, the ladies probably will understand it, and the doctors in the room will understand it. So I started having problem with my, you know, woman stuff. <laughs> Every month I was in agony. Month, you know, it was just terrible. We take time off work. And they went to the hospital, the semi-tool hospital, they did this kind, and then they said, okay, two things you have. You have polyps, and then you have polycyst ovary. I thought, I'm not having polyp and polycyst ovary. This time, in faith life, we just like, if you tell me I have something, the first thing I do, I said, okay, now I have a name. God, you've got mail. That is it. So there's something in your inbox. You need to give it to me to put on the completed. That, that was my name. God, you've got mail. And so I, um, I told Mark and um, Sarah at time, I told her, and Cheryl said, yeah, we're going to go after that one. That was so good. So they went after it. I, um, then I had an appointment to go and um, I did the, the scan to, to confirm what it was, and there it was. So I had to have another one because I had to book an appointment to go and remove these polyps or whatever. So this was it. So that day came, oh, I remember the sun was shining. So I sat in our garden um, and then got a drink and I was waiting to go to hospital and Mark and Cheryl were, you were all holiday, Sarah. And then I, I, uh, I prayed, I had peace. I woke up in the morning, the peace that I had, well, I cannot describe it. I had this peace and I just had this assurance that everything would be well. First of all, I knew when they were gone, at least my monthly problem would be solved. So that was, that, was, that was the reason for peace. And then I went there and there was this um, Chinese doctor. And he 
we went in there, put the scan in to try and they had, you know, razor water. I don't know how they did it, but, and I was supposed to watch everything. So it was scanning and you're looking at it and inside was bright red as if an operation had already taken place. Oh, and then this Chinese guy is looking at it and saying, have you had surgery? Have you just had surgery? So, and me, being cheeky, I said, yes, I had one this morning before I came. They said, how is that possible? I said, yeah, well, I told Jesus what I wanted to see happen, and he did it, but I'm just, I'm just here for confirmation. And this Chinese guy just gave me a high five. He said, that's the way to do it. And his other doctor, the other said, what are you talking about? He said, I said, I've been healed. I've been totally, totally healed. There is nothing there. And he said, look at it yourself. You can see she hasn't been anywhere else. And I left the two of them to argue out what happened. But, so I was totally, totally healed. Again, um, Mark is reading from Holiday. Mark is reading from Holiday. <laughs> what has happened? So my voice is, I'm excited. So my voice is like, you can, you can try what the has happened? I've just been to the hospital to go and have these polyps and things removed. But Jesus has already removed them. How cool is that? And I can say story after story after story. I used to suffer from terrible migraine. That when, you know, in summer like this, I couldn't bear to, to see the sun that Paul Les and the children, they used to eat. If I hear a scrape on the plate, that was so, they used to be terrified just eating. I almost bought them plastic spoons to eat when I had a migraine. But totally, totally gone. God heals. He delivers. He, he cares about the little mundane things in our lives. So whatever it is, God is able. He's more than able. And he's the hope in us. And, and how do we glorify Jesus? By expressing, you know, his power through our lives. When people see that, then he is glorified. Yeah. Amen. 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 God is so good, isn't it? Um, just so many. Like when we first came, John's back got healed amazingly um, through injury from when he was in the army. Um, I think he actually recorded that, right? Yeah, we have a video of it. Yeah. We don't have the video of him coming coming home when you turn into him. Are you going to tell the story? I can't even remember that bit. <laughs> you can tell, so, you can tell right? We, we, we do have a video of it. It's actually on the Facebook page way down there. Yeah. Uh, but we have a film of John in pain from his back. He was on massive amounts of pain. Yeah, yeah, like morphine. And we, we paid for, for him. And then we went back. I carried on paying for other people. Then we went back about 10 minutes later. Mm. And he was so much better, but yeah. he made the Rachel at home notice that John was actually taller. Oh yes, I remember that. Because <laughs> uh, his back had straightened. <laughs> yeah, um, and again, I talk about like because John, uh, John has like Crohn's, and um, so that implemented like a, a lot of the stuff. He gets like um, arthritis and everything that goes with that. And I can't even remember, it's just like, like you were saying, just steadfast and holding on. But there was one specific moment that I always remember, not specifically in Faith Life, we went to see John's dad in France. We parked in Gatwick or whatever and come back and I, had, I can't even remember what car it was, like an old Corsa or something like that. And the car wouldn't turn over. So we called out the RAC and um, it was like, the car's really, we don't carry anything to start your car. I'm thinking, well, now we're going to have to pay out for a hotel, going to have to get the, co uh, the car towed and everything else. And he was like, let me just go back and check in my van. And I'm like, please, God. Like, you know, just, I just want to go home. Like, I'm tired. The kids were young and stuff like that. So, and he come, he was literally in the van for like five seconds, come out, like, holding this piece. And like, it was just like the smallest little thing for my car. Um, he was like, I, I can actually believe this. We never, like, obviously no one has them. He was like, but I've got a specific piece for your car. And I was just like, praise God, like, just the smallest, like, 
just the smallest things that that you care about. I care about getting home and getting in my bed. And God was like, yeah, okay, I've got, I've got the bit for you. And it's always there. Like, there's so many things in just mine and John's lives that, like, that he's done. Yeah, so. Amen. Okay. You want to know the story of the plant, don't you? <laughs> so, we, uh, when we moved into our house in Foxton, all it had was uh, grass at the back, and the grass hadn't been cut for a very long time. It's like up here, and, and um, anyway, so we, when we cut the grass, what we didn't know is that there was like a cricket's nesting in there, and they just filled our house. That, that's not the miracle. They, they came out of the grass and filled our house, so they're all up the stairs and everything. And the house was just full of the things, because that shows how long the grass was. But anyway, that's not the, the thing, it's just the thing I remember about our garden. And uh, so shortly after that, we decided that we'd, we'd have some like landscaping done. And uh, Ray's nephew came and, and did the landscaping, and he laid it all out, planted all the plants and things. Anyway, after about a year, we, we had this really nice plant outside our kitchen window. And it died. And it was really sad because like everything else was doing really well and this plant died. And uh, we thought, well, maybe it's just like seeds and then it'll come back next year. And it, and it didn't. We left it and we got like... And it's our garden company, this guy, old guy called Trevor. He said, it's dead, that missus. I'm going to take it out. And I'm going, no. And Cheryl's going, no, you can't take it out. So Sheldon, you can't take it out. And every week he comes, I told you it was dead. Can I take it out? <laughs> and Cheryl's going, no. And I'm going like, no, because we need to learn how to move in the things of the Holy Spirit. So whilst, you know, there aren't that many dead bodies you ever get to pray for, I thought, I could pray for a dead plant. So I'm out there. And, and Cheryl's sat in a... House. I don't know if you've ever been visited down the neighbourhood, but it's like a, a, a glass bit on the end of the kitchen, garden room thing. And so Cheryl's sat in there, and I'm out in the garden every day, pouring rain, all, all, all the stuff, and I'm speaking to this plant, and I'm going, you will live, you will live, plant. And she's, she's sat in the garden and laughing her head off. You have it great, you're an idiot. And, and it, was, it was kind of, I just had this expectancy that I was going to see something from God. I didn't know. I didn't know. And then I went out one day and there was one little bud on it. Yes! If I can have one bud, I can have the whole plant back. And, uh, and so over the next couple of weeks, this plant sprung to life and then it just carried on growing and it grew for years. Um, I don't think it's there now. I think you dug it out there when you moved in. <laughs> Thin thinning out the border, it's called. <laughs> but, but it was like, wow, you know, God can do these, these amazing things. But the, diff the thing that makes a difference is we have to expect he's going to do something. You, you can call it faith. You can call it expectancy. You can call it whatever. I just call it I'm excited because I want to see God do some things. Yeah. And I'm excited again and I want to see God do some things. So, so how, how's that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen like this. And, it, and it's a really easy thing because one of, one of the challenges over the years is there's some things that haven't happened that we wanted to. And that's when you lose your expectancy. That's when you, you, you back off. Now, those things aren't a reason to uh, give up on God, but they, they do knock you. I remember we, we had a, a friend who really, uh, two lovely friends, and they both died in the space of a couple of years. They, they were in our life group, we'd known them for years. Uh, one of them, Paul, he died, he, he was in an accident, he was fi filming Time Team, and he was, um, one of the stunts went wrong, and he died. And then we had a guy called Bill. Bill was a wonderful man. I remember Bill. What, what, he, Les used to give Bill, he just like, take the rip out of Bill, and Bill gave as good as he got. And uh, we had this 
Bill had an old skybox and it stopped working. So he came, he came to the live group and he said, can't, can't watch Code TV, my skybox isn't working. And, and they said, it's going to be weeks before they're going to come and put me on. And so he said, I said, so what are you going to do, Bill? And he, he pondered, he had a bit of a stammer, Bill, so it took him a while. And then he said, to lay hands on it. <laughs> when I get home, I'm going to lay hands on the skybox. So he went home and laid hands on his skybox, commanded it to work, and it worked. And never stopped working again. And it, it, it was still there when he died. It's just like, wow. And anyway, I forgot what I was saying now. Yeah, so you get, you get disappointments, and they're not to be expected. We've all we, we all had individual disappointments, and we've all had corporate disappointments. But the thing is, God doesn't change. It's our, our expectancy that changes. And, and some battles we lose. Some battles we lose because we've got an enemy. And some battles we lose because we've got flesh. But the truth is, God doesn't change. So we have to accept, reluctantly, that we've lost the battle. But, losing the battle isn't the same as losing the war. And so you have to fight back. And the way you fight back, when your expectancy is down, and you're kind of jaded, and you've had, a, had this disappointment, as you go, but and we, we, we can all point at examples where it didn't turn out the way we wanted, is you ask the Holy Spirit to do something in your heart. You put your heart back on the altar. You remember the things he's done, and then you put your heart back on the altar. And you say, Holy Spirit, stir in me. Stir in me again that expectancy. Stir in me again that excitement. And then you do something about it. You don't just ask him to do it and then carry on, you spend some time with him. But more than that, you go back, next Sunday, I'm going to expect him. I'm going to expect God to do something. So, I'm not going to have a row on the way to church. I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the person whose alarm clock doesn't go off. I'm going to get there because God's going to do something. And I want to be one of those who is marching up and down asking God to to, to move in this place on a Sunday morning. You know, it's asking God and then responding by putting yourself on the altar. And so, we, we remember that. And you see, Jesus says, wherever you go, I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. And if you preach the word, I'll follow the signs and wonders. So, that's our birthright. That's what we should expect. You know, silver and gold have I not, but what we have, we're going to give. And we're going to, we're going to see God move. <clears throat> and, and, and so it's not easy to just do that. But it is something that the Holy Spirit can do if you'll ask him and want him to do it. It'll cost you. It'll cost you to do that. It'll cost you moments when you look like an idiot praying for a dead plant or commanding a fire to burn. It'll cost you your ice creams. <laughs> It'll cost you some of your flesh. Well, I just can't get myself up to it. It's your flesh. Holy Spirit didn't tell you that. Well, it won't work. Holy Spirit didn't tell you that. Been there before. Got disappointed. Holy Spirit didn't tell you to stay there. If we don't, nothing happens. If we do, God's got a history of healing. God's got a history of salvation. God's got a history of deliverance. God's got a history of revival in this life. 
See, I believe in the manifest presence of God. I believe we need the manifest presence of God. I also believe sometimes we've got confused and we've thought manifest presence of God equals manifestation. Might, might not. What if God's doing something different? But we need the manifest presence of God. Smith Wigglesworth had the manifest presence of God. He raised people from the dead. The manifest presence of God took the reviving whales into every hardened mining valley on the backs of worship. The Holy Spirit descended on some bleak Scottish island called the Hebrides and almost everybody got saved on those islands and there was moments when there was fire coming down, tons of fire on top of the chapel buildings. That's what we're to expect. That's God being normal. That is normal Christianity. What we are experiencing and have experienced for so long in this nation is abnormal Christianity. So much is it abnormal, but so much have we become accustomed to it that we now question normal Christianity. The enemy's done a good job, and it's time we start fighting back. So I'm going to ask you to stir your expectancy. So let's stand. Yeah, and I think one other way that we can actually stir up, all these things that Mark was talking about started stirring up in me. Why is something, I just had this overwhelming compassion to pray for um, Roger's daughter-in-law. This is where it started. And you just in praying for her, and I just said to God, there were times like years ago when I would have just get a word and speak that word into that situation, and they would have said, What has changed? This is where it started, just praying for Catherine. And so I think one of the ways we can stir our heart really is to because Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed them all. So compassion has a lot to do with it. Actually feeling what your brother or your sister is feeling, even for yourself, situation, knowing that what, what, what is not going to be done if you are stuck in the situation that you are in. And if you always see your life as a channel for something or for somebody else, if you always see your, that, that your life is not your own, and the questions, just being in that place, and the question Jesus asked me was, who do you say I am? The same question he asked the disciples. Who do you say I am? Because who you say Jesus is, is what manifests in your life. That's who you relate to. So who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? We sang all those songs about Jesus, we lift your name higher. Let Jesus' name be glorified. The way he is glorified is when his hope in you rises up and people see the manifestation of that hope of Jesus in you and people see that, then his name is glorified because we are made to be catalysts. We are made to be those who people look at our lives and they see Jesus. And that by that, I'm not talking about riches, I'm not talking about wealth, but there is something that that just really come out from our lives that is like a fragrance that when people smell it they are drawn to Jesus they are not drawn to you even in your worst day you can look at somebody somebody can look at you and say you know when I look at you I see hope when I see look at you I see strength when you are around me I feel that I can do anything and that is Jesus so to be expectant is to know Jesus for who he is because when you know who he is you know what he can do you know what Jesus can do and so this morning, that's why I just want you to just be still and ask yourself that question. Who is Jesus to me? Who do I say he is? Jesus is asking us that question. Who do you say I am? I know what people say he is. But who do you say I am? And whoever Jesus is to you, that's who you manifest. And that's who you bring out for the world to see. 
That's what you bring out for your neighbors to see, for your colleagues to see, for your friends to see, for your family to see. I can only answer that question for me. And my answer is what got me excited this week. So who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? You give the power to the Holy Spirit to manifest in your life. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more you can think, more than you can think or imagine. But it's according to the power of Him in you. So what is the power of God in you? That's what He exceeds. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We wait on you as we rest in that question of who you are. I actually think that what we've just listened to actually demands um, you know, the response. So at the beginning of the service, we started with prayers. And I, I, I didn't know why we started with prayers, because my mind before this morning was about going to service. But then I saw the bit about Jesus actually upholding all things through the power of his hands. And now talking about expectations. So some of you were not here when we started this morning with prayers. But please, can we go into small groups again and just pray? Pray for one another. Pray for expectation levels, see if your expectation levels are low. Pray to know Jesus, because the more you know Jesus, you know, the more you can, the more you can relate with him, the more you can relate with expectations. So can we just, um, sorry, we're kind of running out of time, but just, you know, in small groups, just gather with each other and just pray for one another. Pray with the children, pray that they come to know Christ, pray that they come to have expectations in Christ, actually. I probably even learn from them, because they, they tend to understand Christ much more than we do. So please, can we pray in groups?